Open your Bibles, please, to 1 John chapter 4. If you're weary, we've been taught this morning already. I will not need long to trace the repetition and emphasis of the Bible. It's almost amusing to me to read through 1 John, see him mention the fellowship that saints should have in chapter 1, mention the love of the brethren in chapter 2, extensively deal with it in chapter 3, leave that subject for six verses to talk about the identity of the spirit of truth and the spirit of error in the first six verses of chapter 4, then go over the lengthy treatment of love all over again in chapter 4, and then deal with it in chapter 5 as well. I have been pressed severely this morning that I should be in chapter 5 showing all that is said there about brotherly love and the full assurance and confidence and knowing our salvation from those verses as well. But First John chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. Boldness in the day of judgment is going to be taught in this chapter by brotherly love. Why the gentle word in verse 7 that I read to you now? Beloved, let us love one another. You mean that you're going to say and write something like that by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit after chapters 1, 2, and 3 and the extensive dealing with the subject there? But here he goes again because this subject is that important. This grace is that great. This grace of love is that great of a measure of a person's salvation. Beloved, let us love one another. And he doesn't leave it there. He will spend the rest of this chapter strictly on the subject of brotherly love. But wasn't it taught already? Why is it so important? Because it's the greatest evidence, grace, and means to the prosperity of the churches of Jesus Christ that God's given us. There is a rule of Bible interpretation called the rule of emphasis. The rule of emphasis is how much something is emphasized or repeated in the Word of God, and the love of the brethren is throughout the pages of the New Testament. It is of great emphasis and relevance and importance to us, and we should never overlook it. Note in this seventh verse, one another is there again. Beloved, let us love one another. Each of us should love each other of us. And if we were to do that, we would be a church very pleasing to God and the Spirit of God, and I use this very respectfully, would be unleashed in this church to do all that the Holy Spirit can and will do among His people if we were to practice what the Bible teaches about that love. But let's go through these verses And we do not need to spend that long with them, for I believe you already understand them to a great degree. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. We have already dealt with the grammar. This verse is teaching about love and the new birth, that we were born first and we love because we were born again. So if you love, it's evidence of being born again. We've already dealt with that. I'm not going to repeat that right now. But loveth 
is in the present tense and is born is in the passive voice, perfect tense, showing that the birth took place before the love. But this verse also teaches us love is of God because God is love and love comes from God. God has shown us love. God has taught us love. And for all of those reasons, love is very important that we show to others because love is of God. Love is a godly thing. Love pleases God. Therefore, we should love. Love, the way that I've defined it for you, and if you would like to hear that again, and I appreciate the kind words that I heard at break time for that definition, brotherly love is a cheerful and fervent burden and desire for the well-being of God's children that result in sacrificial and selfless action to get outside yourself to serve them in personal humility for their comfort in life, encouragement in heart, and perfection before Christ. Love is godly. And when we show toward others that sacrificial desire for their well-being, which God has shown toward us in sending His own Son to save us, we are acting and living like God toward others. And knoweth God. You're not only born again, but you truly know the God of the Bible when you're showing love toward others. Brethren, I am like you, I believe. When I read all this repetition over and over again, that he that loves dwells in God, and God dwells in him, and he that loves his brother, he knows God, and God knows him. And there's a point that I reach where the saturation level is about 100%, and I ask, is this necessary? Very reverently, I hope you understand. Lord, what do you mean by all this emphasis? Is this necessary? If God wrote it, it's necessary. And I humble myself before it and I say, I don't want to miss any of it. I want to pick up on every bit of saturation that he wants me to have on how important this is. It is so easy that I could have a relationship by myself between God and me. This is in my mind. In my mind and in my heart, I could so easily have a relationship with the Lord, don't take this the wrong way, without any of you. Don't think that I'm mean, because you're thinking the same thing about me. We could have a relationship with the Lord, but He does not allow it. And He says you can't do it. If you love me, you're going to love those begotten of me. If you love the father of the family, you're going to love the children that are in the family. If you think you know me, you better show it by loving, because I have loved you, and love is of God. So if you really know me, you're going to be loving others, because I am a God of love. Right. And so we have the seventh verse. Verse 8, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Now in verse 7, love is of God. Here, God is love. And if you're not loving, you must not know God, because God is a loving being. Right. And brethren, the purpose of my preaching right now is the assurance of eternal life. I want to know that God knows me, and I want to know that I know God, and I want to know that I'm born again, and I want to convey that same evidence and assurance to you. And the basis for it in these two chapters, and this is heavy emphasis on the assurance of eternal life, is brotherly love. Right. Because love is of God. 
When you are loving another person, when you get down off your high horse, when you condescend to others, when you sacrifice something in your life for another person, you are showing the nature of God in you. And God is love. And if you are a loving person, and and everyone knows that about you, and you know it, that you are loving others, and you don't care about yourself, you're showing God in your life. It's that simple. And that is a tremendous change in our nature. Let me quote again what Paul said about himself and Titus in Titus 3.3. For we were sometimes foolish, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That is us by nature. But look at the difference God can make. And we want to take the difference that God has worked in us and work it out by loving like God loves. Verse 9, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. That is a sacrificial investment in our well-being at His great expense. Though free to us, it was costly to God. He gave up His only begotten Son. What have we given up for our brethren? Nothing in comparison. In chapter 3, it was the word perceived. And here it's the word manifested. God's revealing the definition and example of love that we're to be following. We were told in chapter 3 that he laid down his life for us, so we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Here, he's 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 laying out the gospel to us. In this was manifested the love of God. By God sending his Son toward us, It was God's love being shown and illustrated that we should live through Him. And we want to help others live before Him. We want to help others live comfortably. We want to help others live cheerfully by supporting and helping them. When I'm preaching on a subject like this, you should never, ever be thinking. Or I will be praying that God will either convert you or root you out of this congregation... You should never ever be thinking, I hope the church will start loving me more because of this sermon. That has nothing to do with this subject. There isn't one word in the entire epistle of 1 John about you being loved more. And I'm speaking to every soul here. Every syllable of this epistle is about you loving others more. Just wanted to get that out there. Verse 10. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. How much were you loving God when God sent His Son for you? You weren't. So if we're to follow that example, does that mean we keep on loving someone when they don't love us in return? Amen. Amen. And that's the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 15. The more I love you, the less I be loved. What a great example he gave. I'm willing to spend and be spent. For that church, shouldn't he have just written them off? They were lost sheep to him just like we prayed for lost sheep. And we keep on praying. We're going to be importunate with the God of heaven. Because if we truly love, we'll keep right on praying. And we'll keep on begging God. And Paul did for the church at Corinth. 
But herein is love. If you want to see what love is, and if you want a better definition than the one I gave you, then go to 1 John 4, 9 and 10, which describes God's love for us. Verse 11, Beloved, if God loved us, we ought also to love one another. Did I miss a word? Beloved, if God loved us, we ought also to love one another. Isn't verses 9 and 10 just teaching us that God loved us, and therefore as a consequence we should love others? Or is there some little word in there that should have meaning to us? Is there a little word in there that's an adverb? That little so? Beloved, if God so loved us, if God loved us in the way described in verses 9 and 10, we ought also, another adverb, to love one another. The way that God loved us is the way that we should love one another. Those little words are so important in the Word of God. Those little adverbs. That little word so means in the way described. For God, in the way described, loved us. We ought also, the same way, to love one another. Verse 12. No man hath seen God at any time. This is one of my favorite verses in, the chap- in these chapters. No man hath seen God at any time. And that is a true statement. We're never going to see God. No man's ever seen God. We're going to see Jesus Christ in heaven. We won't see God. He's an invisible spirit. He says He's an invisible spirit. And you know, if we haven't seen God, how do we know that God knows us? How do we know that God loves us? How do we know that we're God's? We've never seen God. Have you ever seen God's book of life? You've never seen God's book of life. We are in the dark about God and about our names being in the book of life. What is this statement in here for? Is this Are these two chapters on the nature and character and attributes of God? No, it's on brotherly love. But it starts out with a little sentence in verse 12, No man hath seen God at any time. You do not know God that way. You've never seen Him. You haven't seen the book of life. So how can we lay claim with confidence and boldness that in the great day of judgment, when we are before Him and His assigned judge of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we will be judged righteous since we've never seen God. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us. You don't need to see Him. He's inside you if you love one another. Well, how much should I love one another? The way that God loved us and the way that Jesus Christ loved us is the way that we should live, love one another. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and His love is perfected in us. God, lo- God loves us. We love God. And by loving others, we are showing that God is in us and that His love is coming to completion and fruition and fulfillment in our lives by that love flowing out of us to other unlovables. It's the evidence that there's a God. It's the evidence that God knows us. It's the evidence that God is in us. Not that we have ever seen any observable fact, but we're producing the effect of Him in us. I... This is one of my favorite verses. No man has seen God at any time. I've never seen Him. But I love Him. And I want to know that He knows me. And I want Him to know that I love Him. 
And I want a relationship with Him. And I want my name in the book of life. And I want to be judged righteous when I stand before Him. And the Bible tells me how to do it. In this 12th verse, If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. His love of us has so changed us that we are loving others. It's the evidence of God. I didn't know First John 4 was about the evidence of God's existence. It is, but not just bare existence. It's existence in you. Verse 13, Hereby know we that we dwell in Him and He in us, because He hath given us of His Spirit. Why do you love others? Because of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, according to Galatians 5.22, is... What's the first one of the nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is love. Because of the Spirit He's given us. We know that God is in us because God has put His Spirit in us and that Spirit of God in us is bearing the fruit of love. But if you live a selfish, sheltered, proud, closed up, arms holding everybody at arm's length, relationship... How do you know God? How is He dwelling in you? Because God's love toward us and His Spirit in us should be flowing out in love toward others. We should have that cheerful, fervent, passionate desire for the well-being of others that would cause us to give up anything, to embrace them, to be personal with them, to be intimate, to humble ourselves, to get down, and to lift them up in life, to lift them up in spirit, and to perfect them before the Lord Jesus Christ. It should be a one, it, it should be a wonderful thing. And it is a wonderful thing. And the more you do it, the more you'll know how wonderful it is. Right. I am sorry that many of you were raised by parents that did not love other people, the people of God, that lived rather selfish lives. They had their friends, but see, we're not talking about loving our friends. We're talking about brotherly love when we love every single person that God has put in this body. I had parents that showed it to me all my life, though I am the most selfish person that has ever lived. Born to two selfless parents. How's that for a judgment? Upon those poor parents. A selfish brat. I hope there's been a little bit of a change. In 57 years. I'm sorry that some of you didn't have that example. I had the example and it didn't do me much good for a while. Not that the example was deficient. There was something very contrary in the nation, in the nature of Jonathan Crosby. God's given us his spirit and he's changed us and we can, we can love and it's a wonderful thing to do it. You know, there's a brother in this church that a couple of weeks ago was given a grill. You know, I don't, he he may like it or not. I think he's thanked the church for it. But you know, the conniving and the conspiring to get him the grill, did you all get some pleasure out of that? I mean, there's one brother that goes and finds it online. There's another brother that's willing, listen, one brother was going to build him an altar in the backyard where he could do sheep. He was going to, Seriously. But I get this email from one brother who's found it, and, you know, here's this. What do you mean a four-in-one grill? 
I mean, this thing's got a searing plate. It's got a smoking oven. It's got a, it's got a charcoal burning section. It's got a gas section. I said, where in the world do they find something like that? And I said it with a big smile. I mean, it was, wow. And this brother found it at a, at a place in town that had it in stock. I went to Amazon, which is one of my first places to check prices. And it was half the price of Amazon. Oh, to a Crosby when it's half price. It's a six in one grill. It was so exciting. You know, I, I buttonholed the, the, the brother that went and hid in the house and peeked through the door as the one getting the grill pulled into the garage. And the brother that had put the grill in his garage had placed it that if he pulled his car in, he wouldn't be able to open up his car door. He would just have to look at this grill. You know, every syllable was precious. That's just one example. You know, to grab you brothers and to hug you. I am not boasting about Jonathan Crosby. He's the most selfish man alive. But he knows that this is truth and he wants to do this and he wants to lead this church in doing it better. But to hug you brothers, you're very dear to me. I'm going to say something now that's probably going to get me in trouble. But it shouldn't. I have a sister that I love dearly. She is in a church like ours. I am closer to you, brothers and sisters, than I am to her. I love her dearly. She is not in this bond with me. And if you're watching this, ask me for anything. And I love you. But I love my brethren right here. Because there's a bond among us that's a little different. And I hope you understand that. It's the brotherhood that God's created. He's added each part to this church as it pleased Him. 1 Corinthians 12, 18. I have a brother who's my double brother. And my sister is my double sister in some respects. She's biological and she's in the family of God, but she's not part of this church. And I'm I'm saying all this to make you think about how dear our relationships should be in this body that God has brought together carefully, listen, from all over the place, and put us together right here in this body. Hereby, verse 13, know we that we are dwell in Him, and He in us, because He hath given us of His Spirit. His Spirit flowing through us in brotherly love is what is under consideration. This is not the internal witness of the Spirit that we read about in other places that I mentioned to you from 1 John chapter 3. This is the Spirit bearing the fruit of love in our lives. Verse 14, And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. This is the apostles declaring gospel truth. We have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son, the Father sent His only begotten Son, to be the Savior of the world. That's the message of the gospel. That's the love of God. Verse 15, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. Notice, this is faith. Faith that results in us confessing that Jesus is the Son of God. God dwelleth in that person, and that person dwells in God. So here again, the apostle is bringing faith in 
Faith has just been brought in in verses 14 and 15. But the context is about brotherly love because faith should result and lead to brotherly love. Once we confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, once we realize that God, the Creator of heaven and earth, sent His only begotten Son to earth as Jesus of Nazareth, once we realize that kind of love, once we believe that gospel declaration, then we should move on to loving the brethren. Just like in chapter 3, faith leads to love, Faith leads to love here, just like Galatians 5, 6, for the third time today, faith which worketh by love. Just like 1 Peter 1, that I started out with earlier, that if you have believed, the, obeyed the truth to the unfeigned love of the brethren, we want to increase in that combination. The gospel of Jesus Christ gives us historical facts about Jesus of Nazareth, but then it leads us to emulate that God's love toward those He sent His Son to save. Verse 16, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. 14 and 15 are, is the gospel message. 16 is the love that's in that message. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. And here we go again. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in Him. Now, that's a lot of repetition there. God is love. God is a loving being. God shows His love. God shows His love in very demonstrative ways by sending His only begotten Son to save enemies from themselves and their rebellion to be His adopted children. That is pretty sacrificial. And we could go on and on describing that great love. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love. How do you dwell in love? That is your lifestyle. When you dwell someplace, that means you live there. You're living in love. You have a lifestyle of love. You are known for love. He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God because God is love. And God in him because God is love. It is just such an evidence of God in you and you in God when you're loving. Verse 17, herein is our love made perfect. That is, when we are loving like God loves us from verse 16. This herein that starts out 17 is appealing to what has been taught in verse 16. And that is that we have known and believed the love that God has to us. And if you want to perfect yourself in love, this is the sentence that you need. We have known and believed the love that God hath to us. You need to read and understand and believe and accept and delight in all that the Bible says about God's love toward you. The more you do that, the more it will flow out of you. Because the more you will realize you are unworthy of His love toward you, so you will be able to show love toward those that are unworthy of your love. You know what I mean. And the, and the more you realize the magnitude of God's love towards you, the little bit we get to show others pales in comparison. That sentence right there is key to us really living in love and dwelling in love, and that is to grasp the love of God toward us. You know, there's some songs that we love to sing in this church, you know, about, uh, every tree on earth being my quill pen and the the ocean being my inkwell and the skies being my parchment. 
Am I right so far? Something like that. And I still wouldn't be able to write all there is to write about the love of God. Those kind of songs should delight us. And the more we know and believe the things expressed by songs like that based on the Scriptures, this all becomes easy. All of a sudden we realize God is a very loving being and I'm going to love like that. And the herein of verse 17 is based on that. Herein is our love made perfect. Our love toward others is made perfect the more we know and believe God's love toward us and the more we have a lifestyle of love, our love toward others is being perfected. That means it's being brought to completion and fulfillment. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. As your love develops and comes to completion based on knowing God's love and living in love, you are getting prepared. You are being completed for the great day of judgment that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. The more we learn about God's love, the more we live in love ourselves and have a lifestyle of love, we are ready to meet God. Because we are being like Him. And when we see Him, He will approve of us because we are showing the evidence, the assurance of eternal life. Because as He is, so are we in this world. The last part of verse 17. That's where the boldness comes from. Matthew 5 says that you can be the children of God by loving your neighbors, by praying for those that despitefully use you, and by doing good to those that hate you. Now that's loving your enemies. But when you do that, you show that you're a child of God because God does that. See, this says, for because as He is, so are we in this world. We're down here on planet earth, but God from His throne in heaven is sending rain and sunshine on His enemies on earth. That's how He is. That's how God is. Because as He is, so, uh uh-oh, there's that little word again, in the way described, in the way described, we are in this world. So we have our brethren, we have our enemies. Are you living a lifestyle of love? Do you have a burden and a desire to forgive everybody? Do you have a burden and a desire to declare a jubilee for every offense that you've ever had against you? Do you want to blow everything away? Do you want to embrace? Do you want unity? Do you want to serve? Do you want to help? Do you... Was the rain nice on Friday evening? Short, beautiful, helpful. Was the sunshine nice the last few days? Is He's setting that on the evil and the good. As He is, so are we in this world. Are you like Him? Loving to do nice things for enemies. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. You haven't come to completion yet in understanding God's love and in living a lifestyle of love that will take away that fear. The more that you know and believe about God's love as it is defined, described, and detailed in the Bible, and the more you embrace that and believe it and show it toward others, it will take away your fear. There's no fear when God's love is fully shed abroad in your heart. And God's love is fully shed abroad in your heart and God dwelleth in you 
and you in God, and God knows you, and you know God, when you are loving the brethren without reservation, you realize the benefit of verse 18. Real love does not allow fear. When you fully grasp God's love of sending His Son, what in the world are you afraid of? He sent His Son. He can easily save you. Well, I just don't feel it. Then learn His love a little bit better. Read those passages of Scripture that deal with the love of God. Embrace them. Love them. Rejoice in them. And show them to others. Get get out of yourself and go after someone and embrace them. Forgive them. Do something kind for them. Show God's love to them. And by so doing, starting with God's love towards you, then you expressing it toward others, it will blow away fear. There is no fear in real love. Where you're walking in love and you know God's love, it takes away fear. I have not always taught this emphasis. I have not always been a father with this emphasis. And to my children, where I failed in keeping God's balance of His Word, forgive me. But that is ancient history. And I want to tell you that if you will learn God's love and rejoice in that, and that you will show it toward others, the more you do it, the more confident you are that you are God's. God dwell is God is dwelling in you because as He is, so are you being in the world. And you are showing His nature through you by your love of others. It's that simple. It starts in verse 16. We have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love and He that dwelleth in love. That means you have a lifestyle of love toward others. Your love is being made perfect because you're grasping all these things and doing them. You can have boldness in the day of judgment because you're acting just like He does. Last part of verse 17. There is no fear in this. Once you grasp these things, perfect love, love that has been brought to its fulfillment and completion, and what God wants you to have in knowledge of Him towards you, and in you showing to others will drive out that fear. Because there's no torment in walking like God walks under His blessing, showing His grace, showing His character and nature through your life. And we love Him because He first loved us. He is the initiating cause of any love that ever flows from us. Verse 20, if a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. You say, well, I've never hated anyone. I don't hate anyone in this church. Hate just means not loving, because look at the next clause. For he that loveth not his brother. Are we still talking about the same person? Yeah. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? This is inspired reasoning. If there's a being that you have never seen and you say that you love him, how can you love him when there's a person right in front of you that is your brother that has a need that you don't want to fulfill? It's impossible by inspired reasoning. If a man say, I love God, and you know we love in our prayers, over the last few years it's developed to say in our prayers, Lord, we love you. you have you noticed that prog- improvement in our praying that we want to tell the Lord that we love Him. Well, if a man say, I love God, let us all be on our guard for opening our mouths in the house of God. 
and we don't love our brother, we're liars. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. What does God say to us? If you're going to love me, make sure you love your brothers also. They're my children. If you want to love me so much and you want to talk about your love for me so much, make sure you also love the other children I've adopted. I'd like a big happy family where everyone loves me and everyone loves each other. Any parents in here familiar with that kind of thinking? May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. What is brotherly love? It is a cheerful and fervent burden and desire for the well-being of God's children that results in sacrificial and selfless action to get outside yourself to serve them in personal humility for their comfort in life, encouragement in heart, and perfection before Christ. Parents, one of the best things you can do for your children is to teach them the order of affection. God first, others second, they last. The more you get a child, especially teenagers, outside of themselves, the haughtiness, the selfishness, the laziness toward others, and serving others, it makes their problems and what they think are worries and fears dissipate because they're doing something noble and good and God is working through them to love others. And you should teach them how to do that. Just like John here is teaching my little children. A child that is haughty, a child that is selfish, a child that has a high opinion of themselves, you have trouble, I have trouble. We want them to stoop in humility and learn to serve others and put others first. And we as parents need to give them that example. God first, others second, we're always last. I am third. I am nothing. Everyone else is more important. Let's serve them for the assurance of eternal life. Let's dwell in love. Let's have a lifestyle of love in this church and love the brethren. And may God bless us with his presence and his power and his fruit through our lives by fulfilling this great character trait of his nature because God is love. Let us be love. Amen. Amen.